What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're on the road in beautiful Mobile, Alabama. And uh, we're privileged to have a big hour coming your way. Governor Christy Noem of South Dakota is going to be with us. Congressman Ronnie Jackson. Hope everyone had a sensational weekend. But we are back in action today. Uh, and before we get to Governor Noem, who's standing by, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Opening an inquiry based on the, the facts that we have, I think would be justifiable. However, I think they run the risk of doing an inquiry that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere while they've been ignoring a lot of the problems that our voters are talking about. Ron DeSantis has a good point. Investigate, don't impeach. That's his message and mine, too. The forensic accounting on the Biden finances is yielding big results and should be pursued relentlessly. But impeachment to me is a dry well that will hurt the GOP more than it could possibly help, i.e. look at President Clinton. I'll bring you the latest revelations and explain the risks. Number two. Everybody's trying to make these decisions now uh, are just wrong. Let's remember something. In this, in, in the Republican primary in 07, you know who was winning at this time in 07? Mitt Romney. You know who was winning yeah. at this time in 11? Newt Gingrich. Um, I don't remember any of those presidencies. Uh, That is Governor Chris Christie not giving up hope yet and getting on that debate stage this week in Alabama. 2024, Biden goes Hollywood, ditches Bidenomics and is about to suffer a loss on the war funding because he will not take on his own left and fix the border. And it is crunch time for the GOP. Time is running out to beat or even compete with Trump. Number one. I would be much more aggressive about going after those that attack our U.S. forces. I want to go after those who are firing missiles at our troops and make sure they understand that when they fire a missile, they're going to die. Man, I wish he was Secretary of Defense still under a Democratic administration, Leon Panetta. It's on again. Israel slamming Gaza, making hostage rescues the focus over prisoner hostage swaps. And all this heat was brought our troops brought our troops under attack on land and at sea in the region. Time to get tough, Joe. Think about this. Over 70 attacks on our people. We've hit them back about four times. That's what's gotten only more attacks. Governor uh, Christy Nome joins us now. Governor, how maddening is it for you in South Dakota to see uh, our people targeted like this? Yeah, it's it's unimaginable. You know, we we don't see it every day right in front of our eyes. But to see the threat to the United States of America and what the consequences will be here uh, in every part of our country is pretty devastating. Do you think uh, do you think right now uh, there's a risk of escalation and do you admire the administration for holding back? <laughs> no, um, I, I think that we certainly have to be strong and continue the policies that we had under the Trump administration, not follow the leadership of, of what Biden is doing to this country. So a couple of things I'd like to go over in 2024. Here's Ron DeSantis on what he was saying about impeachment. And being a little bit of a challenge, because as much as he understands the uh, the hunger to get to the bottom of things, there's a, some there's negativity to it. And mm-hmm. here is uh, here's what he had to say on that this weekend. 
opening an inquiry based on the, the facts that we have, I think would be justifiable. However, I think they run the risk of doing an inquiry that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere while they've been ignoring a lot of the problems that our voters are talking about. When I'm going through Iowa, Republican voters obviously are not fond of Joe Biden. Yes, they're concerned about Hunter and all this money, but they're more concerned about what's happening at our border. They're more concerned about what's happening with the economy. They're more concerned about federal agencies that are overstepping their bounds. And so if you're doing the inquiry, which again, I think is justifiable, you also have to be addressing all these other issues. How do you feel about that? And you know the the House did waste 22 days trying to pick a mm-hmm. better speaker, uh, which they right. thought would be a better speaker. What are your thoughts about the risk there with Governor DeSantis? Well, I think he's right. I, there is a huge risk to opening an investigation without knowing you're going to get the proof and, and to do, pursue an, a, an impeachment that you're not certain what the results are going to be. So I think the investigation, absolutely go for it. Uh, be careful of impeachment, um, especially if you're not able to prove your point and to make a true argument to the American people. I do believe, though, you know, he mentioned people are concerned about the border. Absolutely. I agree with him. People are are devastated by what they see happening at our southern border. But I hear every day about the corruption of Hunter Biden and the ties to his dad, too. So that is a paramount issue, and it does deserve to be investigated, get the facts out there and let the American people know truly uh, what kind of corruption they have in the White House today. So, uh, Governor Noem, you know that Donald Trump is going for the knockout in Iowa. He wants to have such Mm -hmm. a devastating victory. He knocks out the rest of the GOP field. Here he is over the weekend, cut 17. I was able to get the farmers $28 billion. That's why, you know, I get a lot of heat sometimes. Some of my people, and they're great, they're good people. They mean well. They say, sir, please don't take it for granted that you're going to win Iowa. I said, what do you mean? I got the farmers $28 billion. Of course I'm going to win Iowa. Remember, I came in last time. They said, sir, you sound very conceited. You're saying you're going to win. I said, how the hell can they vote against me? I got them $28 billion. They're going to vote. Do you think Joe Biden's going to get you $28 billion? Any extra money that he gets comes to him and his family. It doesn't come to Iowa. That's been proven, hasn't it? So... He feels confident about Iowa. I don't know, have you been through, and I know that uh, Ron DeSantis has been through all 99 counties. Where do you think it's going? Well, President Trump has been an incredible friend to the farmers, but that $28 billion was, you know, disaster funding, emergency funding to make sure that we can keep an American food supply, which is a national security issue. So that's the details that I think every Iowa farmer understands is that when they needed help to make sure they could keep their tractors rolling to feed this country and to feed the world, President Trump was there. The unfortunate thing for Ron DeSantis is he he hasn't been a friend of the farmers, um, you know, and even in his own state. So that is going to be kind of a mountain he's going to have to climb down in Iowa because the middle of this country understands we're the breadbasket of the world. And if you don't control your own food supply, you don't control your own future. So there's a big contrast there on how those two candidates have approached um, food policy. And, and I think that's going to get talked about a lot over the next month or so. What do you mean uh, Ron DeSantis isn't a friend of the farmers? Well, everybody understands that has been involved in food policy knows that you have to have a safe debt. That they, for, it is an incredibly risky business when you are completely controlled by the weather. 
Uh, you can borrow money, millions and millions of dollars to, to buy fertilizer, seed, chemical, and then you go put it in the dirt. And you hope that months later that you'll be something there to harvest, to sell, to not only pay off those operating loans and notes, but also that you'll have the chance to feed your family after all that's done. And the reason that America's always had a farm bill and had um, policies and, and disaster programs and emergency nets, safety nets, is because we understand we have to grow our own food in this country. When we outsource our food supply to China, and to other countries, they will control us. So that's why we have a farm bill, and that's why we have policies. And, and that hasn't been something that, that you know, Ron DeSantis has supported in the past or been proactive on supporting, is recognizing the imperative national security right. threat that we're facing when it comes to our food supply. So in Iowa, that's a huge argument. That's, that is, people get it there because they understand that their, their markets are completely controlled by people that, right. that aren't in their families and in, in their state. or it's, it's outside their hands. It's controlled by the federal government. It's controlled by trade agreements. Uh, they are at the mercy of the federal government, and so they want the federal government to at least give them the respect of giving them a disaster program when things go sideways. Governor Christine, no, my guest. Governor, one thing Ron DeSantis did do is ban China from buying farmland. Are you for that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's fantastic. And well, I think I'm, uh, our, in our state, we were the first state to have that debate fully supported. I'm alarmed by what we see with other states just ignoring that that question. And and honestly, we've got China in 10 years increased their purchases of American farmland by 5,300 percent. They not only own a lot of our fertilizer, chemical seed companies today, our processing facilities, they are buying our land now. And I love any leader that takes strong action to stop them. I sent a a support letter to Chairman Gallagher out in Congress asking him to put it into the National Defense Authorization Act, a bill that would make sure we don't sell land to to China because of this threat that we have. And they're focusing their purchases around our national security assets, um, which, you know, they're not dummies. They've got a long-term plan to destroy the United States, and they're working hard to get it done. Yeah, so that, so that does show that you're fully backing uh, what Gallagher, what Speaker Gallagher is trying to do with China. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine even Democrats getting in their, Speaker Gallagher's way. You might even get bipartisan support on this. Not that you're involved heavily in Washington. You must feel the frustration of the lack of getting things done. But I do believe that uh, Gallagher has a good shot at going bipartisan on this. The crazy thing is a lot of times China doesn't say, hey, I'm a Chinese company. I'd like to buy American land. They come through other companies. That's right. And, you know, that's why I also um, I asked my congressman and, you know, governors do have influence in D.C. because we're on the front lines out here and we're seeing what they're doing um, as far as investments in our state. So we make recommendations. At least I do. I talk to congressmen every day and say, you should run a bill that does this. You need to stop this regulation. HHS is trying to push this down our throats. And so a lot of their bills do come from from governors out here that have to run these programs and departments. But our, my congressman, Dusty Johnson, I just asked him to bring a bill, which he introduced this week, on on stopping these investment companies from forcing us to put our pensions and retirement funds into markets that support China. They have China still defined in, in Vanguard in their emerging markets fund. Now, there's no way... That, that China is an emerging market. I, we're asking them to develop a product that we can invest 
our dollars in that does not support the Chinese Communist Party, and it takes Congress to take action to fix that problem. For I mean, it's amazing that there's no there's no patriotic vein that goes through these companies where they might even feel a little guilty for doing that. But the one of the most effective ads that I have seen is you trying to recruit people to South Dakota with great success, with you showing yourself in different occupations. Here's your latest. Let's listen. I just ran the numbers. South Dakota has one of the fastest-growing economies in America. We have close to... 20,000 open jobs, including accountants. So I'm filling in. South Dakota is the freest state in the nation. We have no state income tax, the fastest growing incomes, and we recognize out-of-state licenses. It's all adding up. South Dakota. Freedom works here. Governor Noem, you didn't carry the two. Josh, kiss my abacus. That's so funny. Uh, how's, How's that campaign going? It's fantastic. We've had thousands and thousands of people pick up their families and move to South Dakota. And and we try to make those ads fun. Um, you know, that was our state treasurer that was the, the star of that commercial. And, um, you know, we had to figure out a way to make it fun and make people remember it. But also remember when they think of South Dakota, you know, the way of life that we have here and that we have an incredible opportunity uh, here to better their life and educate their kids better than almost any other state and live in freedom. So I We've had um, over we have 8000 people right now through the application process, um, and this campaign's only been going for five months. So for a marketing campaign that requires the results of people picking up their entire family and changing their entire life, it's just been uh, the best marketing campaign our state's done in the history that we've existed. And and that's what we need. We need workers to fill all of our open jobs because we've had so many businesses you know, move here. They they want to be hitting it full throttle, and my job is to do the best I can to make our state thrive. So the one thing is pretty clear is you've been a successful governor, successful congresswoman, and I know you're very tight with President Trump. I still remember your uh, address uh, in front of the in front of Mount Rushmore on the 4th of July. Uh, do you believe that you should be considered as a running mate, and would you like your name in the in the consideration? Oh, well, who knows what President Trump will do? You know, I'm, you know, I think anybody who tries to predict what he'll do um, is usually probably wrong. But I trust him. I, I want him to pick the person that's going to help him win, Brian. I want him to win because our country is absolutely being devastated. I'm on defense almost all day long trying to fight off the stupid, ridiculous, condescending, egotistical regulations and taxes and policies of the Biden administration. So we need him to win, and uh, I want him to, to put all of his assets on the table and go hard. Well, one thing he has said about you in the past is, and he has said about, he says he's considering a female running mate, so that would be optimistic, but he's not going to do what Joe Biden did and box himself in like that. So you think that would right. be a good move? Oh, I want the best candidate. I've, you know, my, I grew up in a family that my dad never talked about, you know, girl jobs and boy jobs and, and what we needed to be. I think it's important to have a diversity of perspectives. I mean, you get better policy every day of the week if you've got diversity of backgrounds and experiences and around the table when you're debating policy and putting something into place. That's always helpful. So it's good for him to have a a group of people that aren't all reflective of the same background, jobs, or careers, or experiences. But I'm not going to tell him that necessarily a woman's better than a man. I think he needs to pick the best person that will get up there, not only be smart and contribute to his policies, but boy, tell him the truth when he needs it. Because, you know, if there's one thing I've learned in a leadership position, you need truth truth tellers around you. 
um, give you all the facts. You know, and Brian, my, my motto is uh, people who bring you problems with no solutions are just problems. Those people are problems. So he needs somebody that is um, going to come into his office, point out a problem, and say, here's three different solutions that I'm suggesting, sir. What did you decide? And then let's go get it done. And that's what you would do? Absolutely. Yes, I, I, I would. But, you know, I've I'm been blessed to be the boss the last few years. So it's a little easier when you're sitting in the boss right. position rather than when you're the advisor. Uh, it's probably a little bit more my personality. But I, I haven't seen too many decisions President Trump has made that I disagree mm-hmm. with. What I love about him is he let, he's let me do my job as governor, um, which I appreciated when he was in the White House. Right. And you do endorse him? Oh, yeah. I endorsed him a long time ago. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I did. He just, you know, he's he's a fixer. And people don't like the way he talks. They don't like the, you know, we just need to get over it. Uh, you know, we, here's the deal, Brian. I had a pastor years and years ago say to me, Christy, people are going right. to offend you all the time. But you're the one who decides if you want to pick it up, carry it around with you all day long, and then you're gotcha. the one carrying the burden. So quit being offended by everybody. Start talking and get over it and get to work. All right, Governor Nomo, I want to see you in studio soon. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Governor Christine right, Nomo, South Brian. Dakota. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. It's always great to hear from Christy Nome. I think that she's going to be a leader uh, as a possible running mate. I think Christy Nome's going to be hot. I think Elise Stefanik will be somebody else that's pretty hot on that note. I also think Byron Donalds is someone he will consider. I think Tim Scott is somebody that will be considered and fully vetted. It's just who can help him the most. You know what's most important? Mike Pence was a great partner. He couldn't have been more opposite than President Trump, but he needed somebody who could get things done in Congress. The one thing that Elise Stefanik knows is how to move through Congress. The one thing that Byron Donalds knows is how to move through Congress. I don't know if Chris, actually Christy Noem with a couple of years there, certainly has a, a way about it, knows how to work it as she led there. That'll be interesting. She certainly has the confidence, and she's got the governing experience. Like she said at the end of the uh, at the end of the talk there, the interview we just had, she's used to calling all the shots, and then maybe answering down the line. We'll see. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're just getting started on a beautiful Monday. Uh, keep it here as you get ready to go Christmas shopping and cross off all those names on your list. Don't move. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We want to get that pause put back in place so that, again, more hostages come can come out. I'll say this, two things, if you'll allow me. One, Hamas is the reason that the, that the pause ended, because they refused to, to put on the list additional women and children that we know they that they are holding, and they're refusing to let go. Uh, and, and two, uh, we're working it literally by the hour to see if we can't get this back on track. That's John Kirby over the weekend talking about the collapse of the 
of the truce of the pause. And because Hamas did not live up to their side of the bargain, delivering all women and children, they haven't done that. I don't know how many are alive. I hope they're all alive, but it's not likely. Over 100 plus delivered and still 100 about uh, left. And now it looks like the Israelis, the IDF, are moving into the south and getting a lot of critics in the uh, in the interim. Not Ronnie Jackson. The congressman joins us now uh, from Texas. Congressman, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks, Brian. Appreciate you having me. Hey, no problem. John Kirby saying this is collapsed. The IDF has to do their thing. Publicly, I like their stance. What are they saying privately? Well, I mean, I think privately they're saying that we got to do this. I mean, I think that, you know, we can't impose rules on how they're going to how they're going to do this. I mean, if we don't let them go in and and actually get rid of Hamas, then this is this problem will just rear its head again. So I think that we have to uh, we have to stay out of Israel's way. I know that there's a lot of pressure right now from the uh, progressive base uh, to uh, to continue to push uh, the Israelis into, uh, you know, not going south and not, you know, not continuing their ground efforts or not to the extent in which they want to and which they need to. But I think that, you know, we, we, we have to let them do what has to be done. Uh, and it's just going to require some uh, backbone on the part of the Biden administration to uh, to let this happen and to stand their ground. Uh, well, I don't know if they're going to do it or not. I feel like at some point they're going to start backing down, but we'll see. I mean, nobody wants war, especially you in the medical profession. You know the, the real damages of it. If you go to Walter Reed, you understand the price people pay. Sure. But one thing is pretty clear, uh, Congressman Jackson, is that if we show weakness, if we take a backward step, if we don't, if we don't respond with, tough, uh, with a tough response from the attacks, we're going to get more. Hence, we have over 75 attacks on our, our ships and our uh, bases in Syria and in Iraq and in through the Red Sea. And we respond four or five times over the weekend. Multiple rockets targeted a patrol uh, base over in Syria over the weekend. Our ships, uh, civilian ships were attacked by these Houthi rebels. The thing they have in common is Iran. What do you are you sensing that the Democrats understand the gravity of non-action and the, the price we pay if they don't act? No, I don't think they understand that, Brian. I think that's a big part of the problem right now. The Biden administration has to do something here. You're right. When we go out and we hit, we, we have these retaliatory strikes where we hit, you know, an ammo dump or whatever it is, you know, a, de- a depot, and then we, we kill four or five of these uh, these um, Iranian-backed terrorists, they don't care about these people. I mean, they don't care about these proxy terrorists. If we kill four or five of these, the Iranians don't care. They're going to continue to do what they're doing. They're, they're actually getting more aggressive about it. I mean, you, you mentioned it. For crying out loud, they're actually shooting missiles at ships in the Red Sea and in the Gulf of Aden now. That's crazy. And and, uh, something bad's going to happen there if we don't do something decisive, if we don't impose some real consequences here, if we don't cause some pain and suffering. We should be retaliating in in, in much bigger fashion than we are right now. Uh, You know, I'm not advocating going going to war with Iran right now, but we need to send a strong message to them that this will stop or we will be heading in that direction. And I think right now we should, you know, with the Houthis and the the way that they're shooting uh, rockets at, at commercial shipping vessels and potentially even at some of our warships. We've had warships that uh, have been in the line of fire of these missiles coming uh, from Yemen and these attack drones. We should send Tomahawk missiles in there right now and take out those missile sites and take out those radars that are allowing them to target our ships. And we're not doing that. So we're, we're showing weakness uh, and, and they're, 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 
they're they're seeing weakness from the White House, and that's all they see. And so until we do something that matters, they are going to continue to get more and more aggressive until something really bad happens and we do end up getting into a war. And that's why, you know, President Trump, when he was there, uh, you know, it, it was it was strength through, uh, you know, through deterrence. I mean, he, he they basically – uh, they they knew not to do these things during the Trump administration right. because there would be consequences, and we don't have that anymore. Congressman Jackson, does it bother you that China's loving this? That they love the fact that we're nail we're kind of stuck in the Middle East again? Does it bother you that Russia's loving this because now they get the eyes off them in Ukraine? Yeah, I mean that's a, that, that's that, that's what everybody everybody enjoys this. That, that's our adversary. They they and and not only they do they they enjoy the fact that we're using the resources now that we're committed in the Middle East again, and now that we have all this stuff going on in in Ukraine, uh, you know, uh, but China in particular with regards to that. But they see this as an opportunity. They've seen from the very beginning, Brian, the Biden administration as a window of opportunity to do things they haven't been able to do in the past because you because the uh, U.S leadership won't allow it but now they do and you know i don't know what the reason is i don't know if uh, you know the chinese uh, have stuff on the biden administration and, and, and they could potentially blackmail him i don't know why he's not stronger and tougher on china uh, i don't get it but uh you know we 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 are seen as incredibly weak on the international stage and it is not going to be good for us in the long run i don't know if this is on your auspices but it should be of concern in that defense strategy over the weekend at the reagan uh, at the reagan library they looked at where we're at right now, and all the experts convened. They say right now the U.S. Uh, defense base, industrial base, does not possess the capacity, capability, or responsiveness or resilience required to satisfy the full range of military production needs at speed of scale. Uh, and that is, uh, these are from experts in the area. And in a letter from General Brown, the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he said, A year-long continuing resolution would create a $5.8 billion shortfall in military personnel funding and exasperate the recruiting and retention challenges. You know that. You're a military officer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Uh, we're in a very bad spot right now. The recruiting stuff is a completely different subject as well, I think. I think that the Biden administration created a lot of the efforts that we have with uh, recruitment and retention right now. I think that they could fix that if they change some of their policies. But you're right. The, the, and and I, was at the, I was at the Reagan uh, Defense Forum this weekend as well, and I heard some of, those same, uh, some of those same folks talking about this. And they're absolutely right. We hear about this. I'm on the Armed Services Committee. I'm on Foreign Affairs. Our defense industrial base is not in a position to keep up with what we need to do right now. I mean, you know, we cannot uh, effectively fight a war on three fronts right now if we had to, you know, continue to help uh, Ukraine uh, fight Russia, if we got involved in what's going on in Israel or if the Middle East broke out into war, and then we had to fight uh, in the Indo-Pacific as well. We can't do that right now. Our defense industrial base cannot crank out the military hardware uh, fast enough for that to happen. And so we have to fix that. Uh, you know, a lot of that is our procurement, our contracting that we do, and just the cumbersome bureaucracy that surrounds Rounds uh, these these programs. We have to clean that up. We have to make this much faster. Uh, we have to streamline this so that we can so that we can react. Because China and Russia, our adversaries, don't have to deal with any of that crap. If they decide that they want to build a weapon system, they build it. And from the time that it's conceived until the time that it's in operation is a matter of just a couple of years. That could take 15 to 20 years for us, and we can't do that. We we cannot be competitive in the environment that we're in now. We have near peers. We're about to have peers. Uh, China is quickly becoming our actual peer, not a near-peer adversary any longer. And that, that should scare going to death. And that's both economically and militarily. But economically, they are struggling. And it looks like they're going to end this year with a huge housing crisis. 
Uh, a lot of people are not working. Their next generation does not have jobs. They're going to be out of people soon. If we have a long-term plan to take on China, we do. We are built to win that. Yeah. No, I mean, I think if we put our mind to it, we can do anything as Americans. I think we've proven that time and time again. The problem is, Brian, I don't know that we have the will to do that anymore. If you look at the young people in this country, they don't think the way you and I do regarding, uh, you know, being an American and, and, and our sense of patriotism and, and wanting to, you know, make sure that we have a strong national defense. Uh, they just don't see that. They, they've been brainwashed to, to think that, you know, this is not the greatest country in the world and, that, and that, you know, that we're that this country is, is, is just as bad as some of the advocates. That, uh, that, that we have. Um, and so that's what I worry about. I worry about, do we have the will to do it again? I mean, but you're right. We're positioned and we, uh, and, and we should, uh, you know, rise to the occasion. So lastly, they're trying to get a weapons, they're trying to get a financing bill to finance the Ukraine war, give uh, Israel what they need, as well as get some border funding. The Republicans, the Democrats say that we don't want any part of asylum reforms. Is there a compromise there or are you guys going to hold firm on the border? Well, I think we're going to hold firm on the border. I think we have to hold firm on the border. We we put HR2 out there, which is the best border package that's ever been conceived. Schumer it's says it's there. dead. Well, Schumer, you know, just because Schumer says it's dead doesn't mean it's dead. I mean, that's what the negotiation has to do. We have to we have to, if, if they sense, Brian, this is the problem. If they sense that the Republicans will stand together, that we will not fracture on this kind of stuff. We have incredible ability to get things done. But, you know, we we've proven time and time again in our party, unfortunately, that that we will fracture. We'll have a small group that will break off and we can't get it done. But if we can get together and stay together, you know, united in this, which I hope that we can and I think you know, I think our new speaker is, is going to give us the best opportunity to do this. I think that we can force uh, things like HR2 because they have things they want. I mean, they, they want Ukraine. They want funding for Ukraine. Uh, you know, we, we should hold that. You know, I'm not a fan of that anyways right now, to be honest with you. I do want to see the Russians defeated, but I want to see, I want to know what the end game is in Ukraine. And no one can describe that to me right now. If you talk to the Secretary of Defense, if you talk to the Secretary of State, if you talk to, uh, you know, Zelensky and their people, they all have a different image of what this, of what a win looks like here. And we need a defined outcome here. We need leadership going in, forcing the Ukrainians even to the negotiating table, you know, because if, if the Ukrainians and if Zelensky is telling us that, that the end goal for this is that they want everything that they had back all the way back to, say, 2001 or whatever. We, we, well, I can't blame them, Brian. I can't. But They've the been invaded by a brutal, uh, brutal invader who will just take Georgia next, Moldova right now, and yep. begin to rattle the cages of all the Baltics. I just think you've got to give them – President Biden's got to give them what they need to win. Uh, that well, means don't wait two we, years to give them F-16s. That's right. We should have been doing that. We should have been much more aggressive about what we were giving them early on. But, Brian, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a firm believer that I do not think under any circumstances that Putin is going to concede that he's going to give the Crimea back. I think that we, we need to be looking at more reasonable, uh, you know, uh, what, what, what a win looks like here. I, I, I agree. We, we, you know, and I, I enjoy seeing, you know, the, the Russian army decimated and then dumping a lot of their dollars into, you know, this, uh, this, this effort so that, you know, they become weaker by the day. But, you know, we, 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 have, to, we have to have some – there have to be some guardrails on this, and we have to know where the – we can't get into a, in a situation where we're dumping our U.S. treasure into, into this war for a decade, for the next decade. That can't happen. We can't have a stalemate that just goes on and on year after year. We need leadership. And if we had leadership from the White House, I wouldn't even be having this conversation with you right now because we know the answer to all of these questions. So I do right. want to help the Ukrainians, but I, I, want us to, I, I want us to spend our money responsibly. And we just right. talked about how we are actually behind in our own 
you know, defense right now as far as the weapon systems that we have, our stockpiles, those have been depleted pretty significantly as well. So we can't get ourselves in a position where we can't defend our own country. But yeah, True. We, Congressman, we, we, let me, we, just, before I let you yeah. go, when's the last time you talked to uh, President Obama? President Obama, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I burned that bridge, I, I believe. So, yeah, it's been a while since we spoke. It's been, it's been a couple of years. Got it. Uh, Congressman uh, Ronnie Jackson, it was great to talk to you. Thanks so much, sir. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. You got it. one 408 We'll be back with Take Some of Your Phone Calls in just a moment. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. My initial reaction, I was, I was hurt, especially with the, the defensive performance that we put on. Uh, the amazing job by uh, our head coach, Mike Norville, uh, for finding a way to wheel a championship you know, with his, his third-string quarterback. Um, I, I think that it's way bigger uh, than what we can see from the naked eye. Uh, however, uh, Florida State, uh, you, you are continuing to have an incredible season, continue to, to persevere regardless of the naysayers or regardless who – uh, tries to limit you from your destiny. Jameis Winston, uh, former Heisman Trophy winner, talking about Florida State. Uh, they were not able to prevail and get into the Final Four. This is not going to be an issue any longer because they're going to have 12 teams in the college football playoff. But it's controversial because they were undefeated. They win their conference championship game. But because the judges took in, into consideration the fact that they have a number three quarterback, they said they're clearly not the best four teams without their starter and their superstar. So we're going to give it to four others, including Alabama, who beat undefeated Georgia, who had won 29, I think, in a row. And now it's FSU who will play Georgia. That's going to be a great game. But they're not going to be in the playoffs. And Michigan looks like they're, going to, they're the number one seed. Uh, and uh, Alabama gets in there. I thought even Georgia had a shot, and then you have Texas. Uh, I thought they even had a shot at getting in, but uh, they didn't. And I'm here in Mobile, Alabama, and believe me, there are talk, nonstop talking about college football, and you see what Governor DeSantis has said about the decision. Everybody's upset. Senator Rick Scott is upset. You know, you go undefeated, but that's the problem with the system. You can imagine how bad it would be if there was absolutely no playoff at all. So... Um, there used to be a bunch of votes. That's it. How would you possibly pick a national champion uh, with that? And then you see the final rankings wouldn't really matter as much. But now there is a college football playoff, and that we're paying them, and everything is uh, totally changed. Uh, we'll talk about that, too. Uh, also, let's talk about what's happening with Israel. The, the, resume, the fighting has resumed. The protests are continuing, and the naysayers are speaking up. And one of them is the squad. Uh, this is Jayapal. Now she's upset at the president of the United States for, they say, not being even-handed when it comes to the conflict. Why would you be even-handed when one side October 7th went and literally massacred innocent women and children of the 1,200, 790-plus were legitimately, either they're at a concert or in their homes, family, and when you return women and children for hardened prisoners, you should be embarrassed. Instead, Hamas actually was getting credit in certain circles and maybe among the squad. Listen to this exchange, uh, which is noteworthy, on CNN with Dana Bash. Cut 11. 
And I've condemned what Hamas has done. I've condemned Specifically all of women. the actions. Absolutely. The, the rape, the, of course. Frankly, uh, morally, I think we cannot say that one war crime deserves another. That is not what international humanitarian with, with, law says. Okay, with, with respect, I was just asking about the, the women, and you turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, Dana. I, I said it's horrific, and okay. I think that rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. Yeah. And it's horrible, but you're, you don't see Israeli soldiers raping um, well, Dana, I think women. we're not, we're not, I, I don't want this to be the hierarchy of oppression. So do you understand the problem here? Now, number one, uh, she is with the squad and she is with Talib, who's Palestinian. And they say, you know, one rape is part of war. Not really. Of innocent people, never the target of dumb bombs dropped in World War II because precision wasn't available. Absolutely. But now if, if Israel wanted to do exactly what Hamas did, in proportion, you know what they would do? They would have killed all 2 million people. Because if you let Hamas run rampant until they were stopped, remember, this lasted over a day. And they still were in the country trying to kill people a day in after the IDF had been fully mobilized. This happened in a day. They would have killed every single Israeli. Now, Israel could kill every single Palestinian, but is trying to, with just miles away from their capital, surgically go in and try to find a bunch of killers who are hiding behind innocent people. And you're blaming the people hunting down the killers. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Teddy and Booker T is now out for three straight weeks on the New York Times list. If you want it personalized, just go to briankilmead.com. It'll go to my local bookstore. Then I'll get it out to you. And thanks to everybody who visited me in Alabama, as well as Dallas, as well as St. Louis. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are on the road to Mobile, Alabama. So glad you're here. Uh, and I hope you had a fantastic weekend and you suddenly you realize you've got a lot of shopping to do. And hopefully you'll get it done and be organized, unlike me. Uh, we are out in the road, and we're having a great time on the road talking about Teddy and Booker T. Special thanks to everyone in St. Louis that came out. Special thanks to everyone in Dallas, especially the Bush Library uh, who came out. And Harker Heights was fantastic. And then also special thanks to everybody last night in, uh, in just one of the great places in this country. Uh, we're, talking about, uh, we're talking about hundreds of people coming out on a Sunday night when there's a lot going on in your life, and people still came out. And uh, and uh, had a great time. So and talking about getting some feedback. I'm not sure where that's coming from, uh, but talking about what's happening. Meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. Opening an inquiry based on the, the facts that we have, I think would be justifiable. However, I think they run the risk of doing an inquiry that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere while they've been ignoring a lot of the problems that our voters are talking about. 
Governor Ron DeSantis investigate but don't impeach the forensic accounting on the Biden financing is yielding results and should be pursued relentlessly. But impeachment to me is a dry well that will hurt the GOP more than it could possibly help. Remember, it helped Trump and it helped Clinton. We're going to bring you the latest revelations and explain the risks. Number two. Everybody's trying to make these decisions now uh, are just wrong. Let's remember something. In this, in, in the Republican primary in 07, you know who was winning at this time in 07? Mitt Romney. You know who was winning yeah. at this time in 11? Newt Gingrich. Um, I don't remember any of those presidencies. But they both have to do well now. Governor Christie is really, his stand is in New Hampshire. He doesn't expect much from Iowa. Can he get on the stage this week in Alabama? 2024, Biden goes Hollywood, ditches Bidenomics, and is about to suffer a loss on the war funding because he will not take on his left and fix the border. And it is crunch time now for the GOP. Time is running out to beat or even compete with Trump. Number one. I would be much more aggressive about going after those that attack our U.S. forces. I want to go after those who are firing missiles at our troops and make sure they understand that when they fire a missile, they're going to die. Uh, it's on again. Israel slamming Gaza, making hostage rescues the focus over prisoner hostage swaps. And I can understand that. All this heat has brought our troops under attack on land and at sea in the Persian Gulf region and at the Red Sea. Time to get tough, Joe, because the, the more calculated you are, the more it's perceived as weakness put our guys into trouble. And over the weekend, that's exactly what happened at the Red Sea. We had to have a ship help out a couple of commercial ships that were targeted. The USS Eisenhower, again, had to shoot out a drone. They don't seem to care that we killed four or five of them, their militia members over in Iraq. They don't care about those numbers. All it is, draw one line right to Iran. Patrick Murphy joins us now. He was the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, Iraq War veteran, now a professor at the University of Pennsylvania and former congressman. Uh, and a Democrat. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thanks so much for having me back. I appreciate it. So you're a guy who fights in the military. Is it is it wrong to not think that in the Middle East they only understand strength and that there are, our guys are going to be jeopardized if we don't come back a lot harder than we have? That's absolutely right, uh, Brian. We need to make sure that uh, we send a message that we will not tolerate any aggressive action that will put our men and women in harm's way, and it has. And that's that's the problem here is that you have the Houthi forces. Houthi forces, as you know, been supported by North Korea a few years ago. North Korea gave them weapons. Um, they fired a couple weeks ago two ballistic missiles this past weekend. They tried to, again, pirate a Bermuda ship. Uh, we, we took action. And the reality of it is, is they have the same slogan, Brian, as you know, as as the Iranian revolutionary group in that it's death to America, death to Israel. And we need to send a message to that Houthi group, which is, again, based out of Yemen, is a terrorist organization. Uh, we need to send a message that we're not going to let them try and put our men and women uh, in harm's way. And those aggressive actions that they've been doing have put our troops in the harm's way. So U.S. Uh, officials have told Fox that American forces killed five Iranian proxy fighters in a one-way drone attack. According to the officials, the militants were observed preparing a drone or rocket believed to be targeting U.S. forces. And then we carried out a strike before the weapons could be launched. Iraqi security forces confirmed to the U.S. that five militants had died. The attacks were not preplanned. U.S. forces have been attacked 75 times since October 17th. It seems Iran wants a major reaction. It's almost as if they're begging for us to do it. But if we do it in the past... 
when we've done it, it's neutralized them. So what would you be your next move if you were still if you were in the uh, if you were in the central command? Sure. Well, a couple of things. One, it's checkers, not chess, Brian. And I know you know this. I mean, the problem is, is that the Shia uh, leaders in that region feel empowered. And, and again, I, I, can we just go back 20 years? As you know, I was part of the Iraq invasion, right? So Iraq and Iran had bloody wars. It was Iraq was Sunni led by Saddam Hussein versus Iran Shia led. Now Iraq is now Shia, Iran Shia. The Houthi groups trying to overthrow the current government in Yemen. Um, and what you're seeing is is it is this folks who are trying to say, trying to back America and Israel into a corner and. That's why we have to make sure that there's a political solution. Even when you talk about Israel, what's going on in Palestine, you know, obviously Hamas is a is a terrorist organization, but they're in government. So how do you get them out? Uh, how do you get them out? Obviously, uh, the majority of Palestinians don't want a two-state solution, but that's what the answer is. So do you bring Jordan in? Do you, you know, help out somewhat the a new Palestinian authority? But, but again – we have political consequences here that we have to make sure mm-hmm. um, that we protect American interests, that we protect our friends in that area like Israel, uh, and we do it in a way that's not going to create more enemies uh, than allies. True. However, there's such a difference that needs to be pointed out, not to you, but to our listeners perhaps, and certainly the protesters. Israel is going out of their way to make sure there's no civilian casualties, and if there is, it's a problem. Got it. But if they wanted to have the same philosophy as Hamas, there wouldn't be one Palestinian alive because they were capable of wiping all, all out all 2.5 million. Hamas, they are not capable of wiping out all of Israel. But guess what? They would if they could. We already saw that. Here is Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, cut four. The lesson is not that you can win in urban, con- uh, urban warfare by protecting civilians. The lesson is that you can only win in urban warfare by protecting civilians. You see, in this kind of a fight, the center of gravity is the civilian population. And if you drive them into the arms of the enemy, you replace a tactical victory with a strategic defeat. So Lindsey Graham heard this Sunday, and he says he's lost all confidence in Lloyd Austin. He says he's so naive. I mean, I just lost confidence in this guy, he went on to say, uh, on CNN. He told her that uh, that Israel's tactics are turning civilians into uh, in Gaza into future enemies. He says he does not buy into that, and right now there should be one objective to wipe out Hamas. And two-thirds of Hamas remains alive and, dare I say, well in Gaza. Right. And, and you know, Brian, you and I have talked about this. This is the problem with folks out there in the rest of the world. They don't understand that they try to use the strength of America or our allies against us. You know, we, we follow the rules of law. We follow international norms. They don't. Um, you know, as well as I do, Hamas has used rape as a weapon of war. When you use rape, no matter when, why, how, and for what reasons, the fact is, is that is a crime against humanity. That is what Hamas has done, not just on October 7th, but since. That is what folks in, in the Ukraine are doing in Russia versus Ukraine, that's what the Russian forces are doing against the women of Ukraine. We are not doing a good job as democratic institutions letting people know what the bad guys are doing. I know. And, and it drives me nuts. And that's why when you say, hey, Murph, can you come on my show? 
Brian, whenever you need me, I'll be there because I need to speak truth to power. We need to come together as Americans, red, white, and blue, to let people know there are bad people in the world that don't just want to hurt Israel. They want to hurt America. They want to hurt all freedom-loving countries because what they have is evil. What they're trying to do and what they do to their own people, what they do with people they don't agree with is vile. It is evil. And again, I want peace. Brian, you want peace. Most of the world want peace. But let me tell you something. There are people out there that don't want it, and they want to take it to us, and we can't let that happen. Now, you're a strategist because you were Secretary of the Army as well as with this military background you have. What bothers me is, you know who's loving this? China and Russia. Yep. China is loving us pinned down in the Middle East, and Russia's loving the lack of focus on the horror, the horror show in Ukraine. So how do we do what's right at the same time, not give them what they want? Well, first off, you know, if, if you have an attack, you hurt American forces, someone else will be raising your children, period, full stop. Number two, we got to start playing chess, not checkers here. We need to make sure that we have political solutions, which are harder. They are not sexy, but we need to get our allies in that region, Jordan, other countries to say, hey, listen, we got to stop teaching the next generation that Israeli people are evil, that there shouldn't be a two-state solution. Let's come together. Let's figure out a way to move them forward. We need your help. We need to come together. And, again, the majority of Palestinians right now, and, again, the Palestinians are good people. Their leadership, Hamas, is unfortunately a terrorist organization and leading them down the wrong way. I think they're starting to see that. But what we need to do is also part of the political equation here. Not just a political solution, but letting the world know that rape as a weapon of war is a crime against humanity. That's what the Russians are doing in Ukraine. That's what Hamas has done and what they're doing to those innocent people in Israel and the, and the people they've kidnapped. Mm-hmm. We have to let people know. And also the goodness, Brian, the goodness of what how we're trying to do it the right way. You know, you look at 200 trucks a day, Brian, 200 trucks, humanitarian trucks, leaving, going from Israel into Palestine. That's a positive thing. And again, that you know, these 200 trucks, they have aid. They go there. They go to these checkpoints. These are U.N. checkpoints, and they're distributed directly to the people, not to, not to Hamas, to, to the people, the innocent people. Of, mm-hmm. of Palestine, not not the terrorist organization, not the folks that are you know hurting civilians, not the folks who are using their own people against them, and right. and that's the problem, and that's why we need people to understand and focus that we can't take our eye off the ball. China wants Russia to win in Ukraine. China wants the Hamas group to be successful in Palestine. We can't let that happen at all. Right. Real quick, uh, Taiwan needs funding even though we haven't delivered the weapons they already paid for. Ukraine needs funding immediately, and so does Israel. Uh, But the Republicans will not pass anything without any type of border security and asylum changes. Uh, What would you vote for, Democratic Congressman Murphy, if you were in there right now? I I would say we got to make sure that we have a 90% solution. Let's not let uh, perfect be the enemy of the good. Let's make sure that, yes— there are enough folks in there that understand we need comprehensive immigration reform. We have to be tougher on the border. We have to be make sure that we have these basically these uh, checkpoints farther from our, our border and other countries. If their immigrants want to come here legally, let's make it happen. We're a nation of immigrants, but let, we got to move forward. And and time is crucial here. 
And we, we can't just punt this to next year. We're already, Brian, as you know, in December. We have right. to get this done for our allies in, obviously, Ukraine. And do the border, too? And do the border, too. Yeah, we got it. It's three. And, again, nothing else. No, I'm not talking about any more Christmas gifts, Christmas tree balls. And we're talking about three things, border security in our own country. We're talking about mm-hmm. making sure that we can help out Ukraine and help out our friends, Israel, uh, and do what's necessary uh, to right the wrongs that are going out there in the world right now. So right now, I, I also watch Outnumbered, and this is something you said on that show. It's like, are you a good person? You know, do we share the same faith? Uh, you know, do you have a good job? Or, you know, do you have your head on your shoulders? Um, and I just think that's indictment on the person, frankly, person of America right now. I mean, even on Thanksgiving, I was at this great dinner and someone wanted to talk politics, right? It's fine and I'm used to it, but it's rough out there and people need to realize like, <laughs> we're all Americans, man, red, white, and blue. And But you're, you're a Democrat, so according to Salon, you're like the non-existent man every Democrat woman wants, so we should create like a bachelor show. Uh, yeah, I know. I'll be lined up. <laughs> So should we create a bachelor show for you, maybe a Fox Nation special? <laughs> Brian, you're killing me, buddy. This is not every day that uh, President Trump's former press secretary, Kaylee, uh, says that we should. We got to highlight uh, you. And I know you're independent, Brian. You know, I'm a, I'm a proud Democrat, uh, but I'm more proud to be an American. And I think there's just too many of us in our country that don't see it that way, that, that, that want to pick sides and that we wear a red jersey or blue jersey. Mm-hmm. And we could disagree. And by the way, Democracy, freedom of expression, all that, that that's positive. We could disagree. But let's make sure that we come together. And, um, and you know, they were obviously deciding to watch and post a Salon article about, uh, you know, Trump men, they can't get dates or so. I don't know. So I, I read it. It was it was funny. But, uh, listen, I wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Right. I, I appreciate you having me on. These issues, Brian, you and I are passionate about right. this and, and are you, your viewers. Um, we can't look the other way. When there's people in the world uh, that are getting raped and murdered and kidnapped. And, you know, thank God we have the best military in the world. Thank God we have the best economy in the world. But that's not our God-given right. we got to work to make it better in our country and in the world every single day. And we can't look the other way in good conscience uh, when evil is happening. And just so you know, according to reports, you are a real catch. So, uh, (laughs) hey, women, get in touch with the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army and the Iraq War veteran who's an outstanding congressman and a professor in an Ivy League school. Patrick Murphy, go get him. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Love you, brother. All right, back at you. Uh, Back at a moment with your calls. And then we have Josh Kraschauer go inside politics and Joe Biden's fundraiser in Hollywood. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we are back, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. When we come back, Josh Krasauer is going to bring us inside the Biden plan to raise some money and let everybody know he is running for office. He's doing it by going out to Los Angeles, also by ditching Bidenomics. It's a poisonous word because people don't feel it. You could sit there and say the the GDP grew at 5.2%. Okay. Uh, you could sit there and say unemployment's at 2.8% or 3.2%. All right. But when you turn around and say the interest rates are going up and not going down, when you see inflation is only growing at 3% instead of 8%, when 
when when you say I can't really get a car loan right now because the cars are a little expensive and financing it doesn't seem to make much sense, so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sell my house, and I'm not going to move, even though I'm probably ready for a bigger house, or I'm looking to cash out and retire. Really? And leave my 3% mortgage? Why would I do that? It makes no sense. So the economy's frozen. And if you keep bringing this up, that Bidenomics has brought you all this, and then when you pay it for especially in places like California... $6 a gallon for gas. Hey, Joe, dial it back. So now he goes out to Hollywood because they really see eye-hotter with American people in California. Fantastic. Brian Kilmeade Show, inside that. And the push for impeachment when we return. Don't move. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Now we're being stonewalled by the White House because they're preventing at least two to three DOJ witnesses from coming forward. A formal impeachment inquiry vote on the floor will allow us to take it to the next necessary step. And I think it's something we have to do at this juncture. Do you have the votes to actually formally start an impeachment process? Yeah, I believe we will. And that is Speaker Johnson. And he basically believes, uh, on Fox and Friends Weekend, that they have the votes to start an, an impeachment inquiry. I'm all for the investigation. I do not think the impeachment's going to pay off. Number one, it's not going to happen. They don't have the votes. They probably don't have the moderate Republicans who put them in a terrible spot, especially in New York. And number three, it makes people stronger. Look at Trump. He came out stronger. Look at Bill Clinton. He came out stronger. Josh Kroshauer knows all this. Fox News Radio political analyst, netter in chief of the Jewish Insider. Josh, I'm not telling you to agree with me, but you do know that an impeachment did not work the way either party wanted. No, uh, impeachments or even impeachment inquiries are distractions from sort of the big issues that are on voters' minds, whether they're they're merited or they're not merited. And look, you, you see a public right now that's worried about the economy, worried about inflation, worried about the state of the world. Um, and, it, you know, I think that what they're looking from Mike Johnson, the new speaker from the Republican Party leadership in the House is, you know, a sign of seriousness, a sign of dealing with the, the big problems that you see in all the polls that voters are registering. And that, that, that's the challenge. I think if, if, if this ends up becoming a distraction from sort of the issues that voters want Republicans to pay close attention to, where, the, where frankly, Republicans have an advantage in, in the polling on immigration, on crime, on the economy, uh, that would be a really big missed opportunity for, for the Republican Party. It seems kind of obvious. And Ron DeSantis brought that up. Listen. Opening an inquiry based on the the facts that we have, I think, would be justifiable. However, I think they run the risk of doing an inquiry that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere while they've been ignoring a lot of the problems that our voters are talking about. When I'm going through Iowa, Republican voters obviously are not fond of Joe Biden. Yes, they're concerned about Hunter and all this money, but they're more concerned about what's happening at our border. They're more concerned about what's happening with the economy. They're more concerned about federal agencies that are overstepping their bounds. And so if you're doing the inquiry, which, again, I think is justifiable, you also have to be addressing all these other issues. And, and, and he seems to get it. And he went out. He could have easily have ducked that and say, you know, I have been following it close. But he notices when, when something about when you're out and about in New Hampshire and Iowa and South Carolina and these early states, it kind of clarifies for you what's important. Yeah, uh, 
it's it's actually very notable that DeSantis stepped away from sort of the red meat against Hunter, Hunter Biden and, and, and the Biden scandals and focused straight on, on the bread and butter issues. Because if there's anyone that, that knows of, you know, from his time in the House, from, from his, his, his previous comments, frankly, about the issue, you would think DeSantis would be the guy that would be front and center. But in reality, he, like you said, Brian, he, he's out in Iowa. He's out in, 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 in New Hampshire at these town halls, at these events. And he, I'm, I, even among the base, even among the most activist uh, members of the Republican Party, I doubt that's a front and center issue right now. It's just, that's just not, not where the news cycle is. And uh, he's reflecting the, the mood of the country and the mood of the Republican Party. There, there may be a moment where you know, impeachment makes a come. Maybe we'll get new revelations uh, about Biden's behavior. But right now, uh, the economy is still – we're still dealing with pretty high inflation, and you're seeing a world that, that's in chaos uh, in many, many hot spots. So I think that is that is very much an immigration, by the way, is one of the top issues for the, the flow of drugs uh, from, from outside our borders and the fentanyl crisis. But those, 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 those are what you're hearing in New Hampshire and Iowa. And uh, I think that's what DeSantis is reflecting in that, that interview. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things going on now. DeSantis really has to make a stand in Iowa. He has the governor. He has uh, he has Bob Vanderplatz, who is an influential Christian evangelical, but he does not seem to be within 20 points of the president. But we never know what's going to happen with the caucus. What should you tell our listeners about the caucus, the way it works? I have read in the past that we've been totally dis- uh, been totally surprised by past caucus results. Could this be – does this remind you of any other cycle? Well, number one, DeSantis has put all of his chips in the Iowa caucuses. So he needs, he's betting on a very strong performance. I think he has to be at least a close second to Donald Trump to really parlay that into momentum on the other big states on the map. So he is putting all his money, all his resources, the ground game, all, all in Iowa. Um, we've seen successful like Iowa-centered campaigns, Ted Cruz. 2016. He he won Iowa. He beat Donald Trump. Uh, didn't win the nomination, but was able to kind of use the support he had from social socially conservative voters, evangelical uh, voters, and, and there's a lot of organizations. Bob Vanderplatz is one of the most significant stakeholders in Iowa Republican politics uh, among evangelicals, certainly. And that 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 support for DeSantis is a key 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 factor in what he's hoping for, in what he's hoping for, a strong result in Iowa. Uh, but look, I, I think the the bet that DeSantis is making is that some of the polls that show Trump up by significant margins doesn't really reflect the unique nature of the of the caucuses, where you're not just showing up to vote. But you're actually you really have it takes commitment. You have to spend a couple hours in the gymnasium in the middle of of January and and really show a dedicated level of support for your candidate. And the DeSantis folks, they they think that Trump's support is a little softer. That maybe in polls people say they're going to support Trump, but maybe they won't show up at the caucuses. They're not as affiliated with the Republican Party. And DeSantis has people that have a much bigger stake in the game. So the the bet is that the polling you're seeing with Trump up pretty sizably and they're pretty healthy margins in Iowa, that will be uh, narrowed considerably once we get to January, once the, once the caucuses begin. I guess so. Here's what Ron DeSantis said yesterday. You know, it's interesting because you just can't come out. I, I laugh at people who say you got to go rip Trump. It's not going to work because his, his voters take it personal. You have to find a way to separate yourself without alienating. And I've never heard it done before, but this was Ron DeSantis's latest attempt. Cut 14. Why are you running? If he's running for personal retribution, that is not going to lead to what we need as a country. you got to be running for the American people and their issues, not about your own personal issues. And that is a distinction between us. I am focused on the folks. I am focused on what they want to see done for this country in a positive direction. I'm the vessel, but ultimately it's not about me. 
and he believes that that well, that might be a good separation point. Is he right? I mean, there was also in that same interview. The, the the moderator was asking DeSantis whether he would condemn some Trump's comments. Uh, uh, I think calling his opponents vermin, and DeSantis was didn't even want to go after Trump on that front. He wanted to kind of focus yep. on, on, on his own campaign. So, look, I I think it's almost too cute by half. Like he's running against Trump, he's trailing Trump. He need to go after the front runner, and he's sort of tiptoeing around the elephant in the room. The, the big elephant who, who's leading this, this nom- battle for the nomination. Uh, so, you know, I mean, look, I, I understand what DeSantis is saying, but uh, ultimately they, they, he's got to start throwing some punches. There are people who like DeSantis' message but are still voting for Trump. He's got to move them into his corner and, and explain why they should vote for him instead. So as of right now, I don't know if you've seen, Josh, it doesn't look like Governor Christie is on the debate stage. Is that what you hear? Uh, I, I'm not sure if that's finalized yet. I mean, I mean there, there's, it really, I think, depends on – Sort of the, if there are any polls that, that come in, um, national polls, I believe, in, 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 the, in the coming days. But uh, I don't think that's finalized. He is on the bubble, though, to, to participate. So right now, if there's just three on the stage, if you're Nikki Haley, what do you do? Do you look straight ahead and talk to the people, or do you try to uh, knock out Ron DeSantis? I, I think you're, you'll see her do more of the latter. Uh, she, you know, she's she's trying to come from behind and then take that second place spot and then eventually become the leading and only challenger to Donald Trump in the final stage. And to do that, she's got to get past DeSantis. She's got, you know, a certain retail political skill set that, that makes her very, very appealing on the debate stage, a command of policy, the fact that she's actually gone after some of her rivals, Vivek Ramaswamy most prominently with a smile and really, you know, knocked him down a peg in these debates. So, look, DeSantis, I think, is her next target. Uh, she's gaining ground on him in, in Iowa. He, he does have a lot at stake, in, in the, as we've just been talking about. Uh, so, yeah, like I think DeSantis, Haley is really going to be looking at DeSantis drawing a sharp contrast between her record and her political skill set and his. Joe Biden's going to hit the campaign trail with fundraisers in Boston, D.C., then heads out to Hollywood where he will meet with somebody I never knew of, Michael Smith, a celebrity interior designer, and his partner, a former HBO executive who was President Obama's ambassador to Spain. So he's going for it. Anyone who thinks he's not running is wrong. I mean, this is the type of things you do if he's running. But I have not seen a great messaging coming from the reelection campaign. I haven't seen a great machine just needs a pull start. Have you? Yeah, well, one of the changes we've seen in the last few weeks is that all the talk about Bidenomics, running on the economy, owning the economy, uh, those have been slowly phased out. And now you're hearing more of Maganomics, essentially drawing a contrast with, with Donald go. Trump and with the Republicans. So, look, that that's – Frankly, I think that's a, that's always been the smarter playbook. To you know, you, you have a lot of vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities of your own. The, the way to win is to try to knock your opponent down a peg and, and make him the less accept, less acceptable alternative. And that's what we're hearing more and more from this White House. I think that you're going to see that rhetoric a lot more than Bidenomics. But look, it, it, it's you know, he needs to raise money for the campaign. That's an issue where you know we got the fundraising reports coming out at the end of the year. And, you, and you've got, uh, you, you know, you've got a, you've got a, a president who's a lot of worry. There's a lot of worry in these elite circles, these, in these fundraising circles, that uh, he, he doesn't necessarily have what it takes. So this is about also inspiring confidence with the base and making sure they're they're bucked up in the preparation for what's going to be a very very tough reelection. So who's what's who's on under pressure right now for this package to aid Taiwan, Ukraine, Israel, and the border? Who needs to get this done more? 
Uh, look, I think there's pressure on both sides. Um, I mean, it, it, if the Democrats can't can't pass funding for Israel, that would be a, a challenge uh, for for a large majority of voters who really are, are supportive of Israel's fight against Hamas. But uh, you know, the, the thinking, uh, you know, in, 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 in uh, foreign policy circles is that you could com- combine the Ukraine aid with with some kind of package for border security. And that doesn't look like it's moved a whole lot since we last talked, Brian. Um, and there's a lot of worry now that Ukraine isn't going to have enough money to continue its fight against Russia. Um, so I think, we're, you know, look, the Republican Party, this, this is, you know, we've talked a lot about the dysfunction within the House Republican Conference, Brian. Well, part of the, the dysfunction and, and, and division is over, over foreign policy, over Ukraine specifically. And I do think that, that Republicans could face uh, some vulnerability if, you know, Russia ends up, uh, you know, win, winning the war, or if Ukraine ends up, you know, have to see territory because we're not willing to fund Ukraine's effort anymore. There's a, there's a lot of downside risk for the Republican Party if they're the ones with their fingerprints over the inability to fund uh, our national security efforts. So, yeah, like I do think that both parties have some risks, um, but I think Republicans would be wise to, to have some kind of bipartisan package, pair it with border security, accept the compromise and, and get that off the, up, off the table. Josh, I 100% agree with you. Phrase like that. Also, read Mark Thiessen's column. He talks about how this helps our industrial base by building these rockets, by doing getting this defense out, the new javelins, the new versions of this. That that money goes to American companies to build more armaments. We just got to do it quicker and more expansive. And uh, it's a, definitely something that Joe Biden should have been telling people. Not a columnist with the Washington Post who's a Fox News contributor, but I do believe that that should be said and done. You can blame Afghanistan on President Biden, but if Republicans refuse to go along with Ukraine aid and let Russia win, I believe they're going to be culpable on that. And I think that should be phrased, and that might exercise them to do the right thing. Josh, thank you. Thanks, Brian. Right. Uh, Meanwhile, too, the president's got another issue, and that's with the Muslim vote. I know it's 1.4 percent of the population, but it's they're big in key states like Michigan. And when they're big in key states like Michigan and you know that they're against the full throttled support for Israel, which is the right thing to do, that makes the president more vulnerable in that key state. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Tommy DeVito still lives with his mom at home. I don't have to worry about laundry, what I'm eating for dinner, chicken cutlets, and all that is waiting for me when I get there. My mom still makes my bed. Everything is handled for me. Honestly, I don't even know if I could find a place closer to here than where I live. I don't blame Tommy for this. I blame Mrs. DeVito. Take the chicken cutlets to him. Be a grown man. Have your own place and don't do your laundry. Live in filth like the rest of us. <laughs> don't get your bed made. Who are you? I will say it's pretty cool that he grew up in a house right next to where he works. Yeah, it's awesome. I think that's I think that's pretty f- cool. It's got to be awesome playing for your hometown. Like you grew up that far away from a stadium and all of a sudden you're playing Dude, at that stadium. Right that's got to be ridiculous. But that is crazy. That the giant quarterback, I believe he's won two in a row now. He probably will start again this week. Tommy DeVito, Syracuse, then went to University of Illinois, I think, played. I thought some played Syracuse a little bit too. It's hard to believe that he lets his mom do his laundry. Isn't that kind of weird as a quarterback? Do you think Eli Manning or Peyton Manning had that? I don't think so. They never never did any of that. I mean, I could see not ironing. I mean, I could see bring your ironing to your mom, but I cannot see (laughs) 
being the giant quarterback and living in your room. I do remember Brett Favre being this fantastic quarterback coming out of college, and then, of course, he was uh, had problems with Atlanta, gets traded to Green Bay, and becomes one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And they did a special, and I think they shot him in his bedroom. I can remember like it was yesterday in a pregame show. And I think it was the bottom half of a bunk bed. And I thought to myself, this is insane. He's the Green Bay Packers quarterback and in the offseason lives in his old bedroom. I thought that was crazy. This is a little bit too far. All right, so that's the fun stuff. Yesterday, if you're waiting for Aaron Rodgers to come back, another national story. He says the Jets, he wants to come back. And he wants to prove to himself, I think, that he can come back quicker than anybody else, number one. Number two is, it's a lot to think about when you're 40 years old. Can you come back and play on a torn Achilles heel? He doesn't want to wait six, seven months. He wants to show that he can still play at that level and maybe give the Jet fans some hope. I don't know if you play him. I do not know if you take that risk. The other big story in football is who is in the Final Four. And it is not Florida State, despite winning their conference, going undefeated in the league. They did an interesting thing. They said, listen, you're not the same team you are in the beginning of the year because you're on your third-string quarterback. They looked at Alabama, who had one loss, and said, you've gotten so much better throughout the year. We believe you're a better team. And that's actually a sound that uh, Nick Saban has. Maybe we'll have the next hour. They talked about that. We're not the same team we were in the beginning of the year. We got better. Should it not be, at the end of the year, the team playing the best? Jameis Winston, former Heisman Trophy winner, now with New Orleans Saints, said this about his school not making it. Despite going 12-0, and 0, cut 34. My initial reaction, I was, I was hurt, especially with the, the defensive performance that we put on, uh, the amazing job by uh, our head coach, Mike Norville, uh, for finding a way to wheel a championship you know, with his, his third-string quarterback. Um, I, I think that it's way bigger uh, than what we can see from the naked eye. Uh, however, uh, Florida State, uh, you you are continuing to have an incredible season. Continue to to persevere, regardless of the naysayers, or regardless who uh, tries to limit you from your destiny. Uh, that is Jameis Winston, who also has to get back on the field. I am. That's another thing I'm thinking now. Why didn't the Jets go out of their way to get Jameis Winston? The guy is sitting there in the with the Saints. I know they're they're contending in a very bad division for the division title, but if you can't play, did the Jets just offer something? Uh, what about Wentz, Carson Wentz? What about saying just putting him out there? He's not going to be a, a guy that leads you to a Super Bowl anymore. He had that shot with Philadelphia. I think he lost a lot of his confidence, but he's competent. If you watch him in Washington, wasn't great, but competent. And that would have been great. I just hate to see teams with that great a defense just waste their whole season. Uh, with the Giants, they have much more problems than that, but the Jets in particular, especially after they were in hard knocks, became this national cause team hasn't won since 69 since they launched this uh, uh, the Apollo 1 mission since Joe Namath thought that would be a that was a good national story just gone hey go out and get Teddy and Booker T story of two American icons placed about the racial equality from high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City always seeking solutions never sowing division it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Out and about with Teddy and Booker T. Back in studio tomorrow here in Mobile, Alabama. Special thanks to everyone in Fairhope, Alabama, for coming out. This beautiful small town in America. They told me not to tell anyone about it. It, is, uh, it looks like they're shooting a movie for Christmas in America. 
uh, right there. Also, a special thanks to everyone in St. Louis for coming out on Friday night, on Saturday in Dallas, uh, as well as Harker Heights in Texas. So Harker Heights and then over to the Bush Museum. It was just a great uh, series of events, and now we're back with you and talking about Teddy and Booker T. But uh, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by John Tesh. He's got a great message. He's a legend. And Michael Goodwin standing by from the New York Post. Michael, welcome back. Thank, thank you, Brian. I mean, uh, first off, are you surprised that the, the hostage exchange for prisoners stopped? And they were, were going ahead, uh, they're going, the IDF going ahead with uh, finishing off Hamas in, the, uh, in Gaza? Look, I, I think that Israel uh, had several sort of imperatives pushing it. Obviously, it wants to get back the hostages. It does not want to empty its jails of people that arrested for terrorism and other things in exchange for the hostages who were purely innocent. Um, but I think it is also this pressure of the United States is forcing Israel to speed up its time clock. Uh, you know, President Biden has suggested a couple of times that he, uh, you know, he's concerned about the humanitarian uh, casualties. And Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, has been pushing and pushing. Uh, and there was a somewhat notorious exchange with the Israeli defense minister where the defense minister said it would take Israel months to do what it has to do to rid uh, Gaza of Hamas. And Blinken basically said, you don't have that much time. And I think the constant talk about humanitarian, about the possibility of a two-state solution, suggests that the Biden administration is feeling the heat uh, of, of criticism, not just from the international community, but from domestic politics. And that means the far left kids, the, the under 35 voters who are core Democratic constituency, who are unhappy with Biden. They've been unhappy with Biden all along, but they're now freshly unhappy over his support for Israel. And then you have this whole thing with the Muslim American vote. And um, I th a lot of people probably miss this, Brian, but Joe Biden, after he said on October 25th that he didn't trust Hamas's casualty numbers, which he should not trust. They are a terrorist organization, after all. The next day, he quietly apologized to Muslim American uh, visitors to the White House. There were five of them, Keith Ellison, the attorney general from Minnesota, being among them. And Obama, uh, Biden apologized for saying that about Hamas. Now, I think that's absurd. Hamas is a terrorist organization. For the president of the United States to have to apologize for saying he right. doesn't trust their numbers, my goodness, why should you trust anything from Hamas? You know what he said? I'm mad at myself. You're mad yeah, at yourself for trusting Hamas's myself. numbers? I'll do better. Uh, <sighs> I mean, it's it's ridiculous, but I think it reveals how much pressure he's feeling politically, domestically, uh, from uh, 
from his support, based on his support for Israel. So he's pulling that support back. And I think that he's put uh, a kind of timetable on Israel and saying, you're running out of time. Now, it doesn't mean I don't think that Biden's going to not supply military hardware, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think he's going to ramp up the public pressure, and Israel then will be totally alone uh, and be faced with a very difficult choice. Governor Doug Burgum, by the way, has just suspended his campaign. Not much of a surprise. Great guy, but did not get any momentum. Uh, I want you to hear what David Friedman, the ambassador to Israel under Trump, had to say about what's going on behind the scenes. Cut eight. Hamas and the PA were, were laughing at Biden, saying, this guy is giving us money, and we don't have to do anything for it. We don't have to agree to end the terrorist activities. We don't have to disarm. We don't have to stop paying terrorists to, to kill Jews. We don't, have to, we don't have to end the pay-for-slay pension program that the Palestinian Authority, not Hamas, the, the, the supposed good guys, the Palestinian Authority, their pension plan that pays terrorists more money to kill Jews. The more Jews you kill, the more money you get. No, no accountability. And then they made Iran into a very wealthy nation. And then on top of that, you know, on top of the, um, the you know, all this insane and, and malign behavior, they start advertising normalization with Saudi Arabia. It's crazy. There's no strategy at all. Right, right. And and that's, that's the uh, sort of bottom line of what I wrote about uh, Sunday, Brian, with uh, Ben Rhodes, the Obama uh, deputy national security advisor, his attack on Henry Kissinger in the New York Times. And to me, this sets up the perfect comparison of foreign policies and the Obama-Biden foreign policies, which are pretty much the same thing as it relates to Iran, as it relates to the Mideast, you know, stand in sharp contrast not only to the Trump administration, but to Henry Kissinger. I mean, Henry Kissinger was very clear-eyed in 2008. 2008, that's how long ago he said about Iran it has to decide whether it wants to be a country or a cause. And the Obama people just plunged head forward into treating uh, Iran as just another country, that you could bring it back into the sphere of, of nations. You could, you could yeah. bribe it. You could sweet talk it. You could ignore the protests against the mullahs and all of that. That's the, that's the foreign policy distinction that the Obamas and the Bidens have, have put on the world, and it, none of it has worked. It's all failed spectacularly. No question. And Ben Rhodes, as you point out, what had made him an expert? I mean, what was his background? Why did he have so much power? He mocked the press, saying, whatever I put out, they write. It's an echo chamber. Then he quickly had to backtrack when he realized he embarrassed it. He embarrassed those people that were being so compliant with him. Yes. Look, he was a, he's a failed novelist, a second-rate speechwriter, and Barack Obama makes him a very important person. And he continues to act as though he knows things about the world. But none of those policies worked. I mean, at some point, you have to admit, and but they haven't admitted it, and they won't change course. And so you get Iran with the Houthis, Hamas, and Hezbollah, Right. Uh, Firing their missiles, creating terror all over the the region, you know, in the in the Mediterranean, in the Red Sea, Mm -hmm. constant attacking our troops in Iraq, attacking our troops in Syria. There aren't many, but there are something like a thousand uh, and they're sitting ducks. Biden will not respond 
uh, even proportionally to the attacks on, on our troops. So th- this is this is the Obama hangover that you get. I mean, this is as many people say, this is Obama's third term. And in foreign policy uh, ways, there is no distinction between the Bidens and the Obamas uh, on on the world stage. Yeah, in fact, you could say Obama was even better on was better on the border, as bad as he was. Uh, but now it has totally fallen apart under this president. Yeah. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. You can follow him at mgoodwin underscore NY Post. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Brian. All right, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 And then uh, we'll have John Tesh at the bottom of the hour, one of America's finest broadcasters ever. Uh, and then don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Morally, I think we cannot say that one war crime deserves another. That is not what international humanitarian law says. Okay, with with respect, I was just asking about the, the women, and you turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, Dana. I I said it's horrific, and I think that rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. So she does not get how detached and arrogant she sounds and how partisan. I think we have to be balanced. If you look at October 7th and you see 790 people killed who were civilians, some of them from the most horrific ways imaginable, and then you see somebody else going out of their way to avoid civilian casualties, this woman believes everything that she sees from the Hamas Institute of higher, uh, higher lying, and she wants everyone else to think this is equal. It is not equal. And instead, when we go in the area, we back Israel, we bring up our military presence, make sure Hezbollah knows if you attack, we are right there, and Israel's not going anywhere. And meanwhile, our guys have been attacked 75 times. We've answered back, killed about five militants, according to Iraqi officials, but they're still going after our ships in the Red Sea. Here is Leon Panetta, the former Secretary of Defense, under Democratic administrations. Cut five. I would be much more aggressive about going after those that attack our U.S. forces. Do you think to date that our response has been too soft? I think I think it's been a little bit too selective. I mean, we hit some ammo dumps. We hit some other targets. I want to go after those who are firing missiles at our troops and make sure they understand that when they fire a missile, they're going to die. Uh, I love it, too. And, and that's who you need. That's what his secretary of defense should be saying. That's a Democrat. And why is our secretary of defense doing nothing? Evidently, they don't take it. They don't give him any leash. They don't let him do anything without being directed. You need a secretary of defense with some initiative and with some policy ideas. And if they, as General Mattis said, if you don't like my ideas, you need a new secretary of defense. But he would not be quiet. And he left and Trump fired him, whatever you want. But multiple rockets targeting uh, our patrol base in Syria, Iranian-backed Syria, uh, rebels, Houthi rebels, Iranian-backed, attacked some ships in the area. They hit. We hit them back. Why is this taking taking so long? 
75 separate attacks. And that is why you have a Democrat going out of his way to let the Democratic administration know that not all this is partisan. We think you're wrong. Here's Nathan Sales, former coordinator for counterterrorism. Cut six. Iran is behind everything that we're seeing in terms of attacks directed on U.S. forces. We're seeing they're going to keep doing it until we make them stop. You're going to actually have to take action and take strikes against the people responsible for these attacks. And mm-hmm. that doesn't just mean the proxies. That also means the Iranian puppet masters, the ones who are pulling the strings. Yeah. Here's more from Nathan Sales. Cut seven. Tough talk. Time to see action to match the words. We've been lucky. 75 attacks plus the ones targeting American warships in the past six weeks. But luck is not a strategy. It's only a matter of time before one of these Iranian proxies gets lucky and actually causes fatalities. And then all hell's going to break loose and there's going to be all type of political pressure to act. And then China gets exactly what they want. Russia gets exactly what they want. They, Russia wants the distraction away from Ukraine, wants arms away from Ukraine, wants weapon systems away from Ukraine, because we only have so much. Right into Israel, especially if we do not fund either one of these operations, rightly so, Republicans, you want to wait to see if we can get some type of uh, border changes, not just more money to build more soft-sided facilities, but some legitimate changes. Meanwhile, let's talk about 2024 in the few minutes I have left here in this segment, then we're going to come back with John Tesh. Joe Biden was at the Kennedy Awards uh, last night when he made it clear prior to the event that he's going to be going to Boston, going to be going to New York, and excuse me, Washington, D.C., and then heading out to Los Angeles to raise money. Anybody who thought that he wasn't going to run again, watch what he's doing. He seems like a guy that clearly wants to run, even though he's trailing in every single poll. And he's also going to drop a couple of things called Bidenomics. Every time he wants to talk about Bidenomics, he says to Bidenomics, nobody agrees with him. And the American people, he polled so badly, they told him to stop talking about it. But how can he run from Bidenomics? I mean, it's named after him. He, he ran on his economy. It's crazy. Here he is last night, again, screwing up a read. Cut 13. And by the way, with other movies and movies, she's earned a Golden Globe and a primetime enemy. Enemy. <laughs> That's me. Primetime Emmy. Here's another moment where Joe Biden thinks it. He, this is funny. Cut 17. He promised me he's not going to primary me. <laughs> he could win. There you go. Billy Crystal having some fun. That's the president yesterday. We'll see if his message is going to resonate. As I mentioned, he loses to every front runner of the three. On the Republican side, and he's losing double figures in every poll to Nikki Haley. Well, can Nikki Haley, who's trailing by about 40 in the general and about 30 in some local races, the first two, prevail? I am not sure. For those people who want Chris Christie to bow, uh, to, to bow out, Governor Burgum just did, short time ago, suspending his campaign, which means it's done. We know Tim Scott suspended his campaign, which means he's done. I'm not really sure what the governor of Arkansas, Hutchinson, is thinking about but he's not a factor. Vivek has kind of faded. Here's Chris Christie on his future. And we're still waiting to see if he qualifies for the debate in Alabama this week. Cut 18. I don't think you know exactly what's going to happen at all until people vote. Look, if we listen to all the polling, Margaret, Hillary Clinton would be in her second term. So I don't believe that polling is nearly as reliable as it used to be. And I don't believe that people tell the truth to pollsters. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, um, everybody's trying to make these decisions now. 
uh, are just wrong. Let's remember something. In this, in, in the Republican primary in 07, you know who was winning at this time in 07? Mitt Romney. You know who was winning yeah. at this time in 11? Newt Gingrich. And winning this time in 15 was Ben Carson. Um, I don't remember any of those presidencies, Margaret. Yeah, but this time you almost have an incumbent running in the primary, and that's what makes it different. And Governor Christie has not been shy. He says, I am the antithesis of Donald Trump. I was his ally. I am now his enemy. Everybody else is dancing around the edges. Tim Alberta's got a book out. He writes for The Atlantic. And he believes that Governor Ron DeSantis is done. Cut 19. It's hard to see how, for Ron DeSantis, anything short of winning Iowa catapults him into real contention in this race. Because let's just deal in reality here. Donald Trump's going to win New Hampshire. He's probably going to win New Hampshire running away, Mm. the same way that he did in 2016 against the crowded field. Ron DeSantis is approaching, I think, sort of a, a, a fork in the road. At the, oh, and maybe he's already at the fork in the road, Kristen. He seemed defensive, jumpy in that interview. He almost gives the vibe of a guy who sort of knows that the end could be near. And let's keep in mind, Ron DeSantis is a young man. He's a talented politician. This is someone who a lot of Republican donors, a lot of Republican voters, would like to see be president one day, perhaps mm. not now. And that's just it. If it is not Ron DeSantis this time, he wants to be in place for next time. And that's why Mike Pompeo didn't run. He said, you know, I just don't see any room with, with Trump there. That's why Christy Nome didn't run. She's right. She says, I don't see any room with Trump there. And that's why Governor Christie says, I see Trump and he's going to be there, but I'll beat him. And it's not over, especially when you look at these cases coming up in March and then June and then maybe August. You don't know how that's going to wear and then who's, who's going to be there. But by, you know, by July, I think we have... June or July, that's when you have the RNC, but you never know what's going to happen. There's so much unprecedented things going on right now. And the hottest one right now is Nikki Haley. But in Iowa, DeSantis has got the best endorsements and Van- Bob Vanderplatz. He's got the sitting governor. He's been to all 99 counties. I think if, he clo- if he's close, he survives. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yes, uh, that music is the demand of every introduction. It's got to be the bad music for John Tesh, former entertainment tonight anchor, CBS anchor locally, six-time Emmy Award winning composer. There's nothing he can't do. Uh, and he's about to do something else I didn't think was possible. Uh, John Tesh is launching his new online course, The Secrets to Answered Prayers. John Tesh, what are your thoughts when you heard that music? Uh, I, I ran to put a tie on it. I'm standing outside. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, – I still stay in touch with all those guys. You know, uh, Mary and Bob Cohen and Rob Weller and all those guys are like uh, – well, like a bunch of old cronies going, hey, do you remember any of the birthdays? Yeah, it's Phil Collins is 62 today. That is, uh, that is great. I mean, it was every day. What was the schedule for John Tesh when he was doing entertainment tonight? You know, I was, uh, I was doing uh, your favorite uh, uh, job. I was uh, working for uh, CBS and NBC Sports traveling the world, right, covering ski racing and all that stuff. And they found an old tape of mine uh, anchoring the news in Nashville working uh, there with Pat Sajak and Oprah Winfrey. 
And uh, they said, hey, we'd like to get a newsier approach for this show, Entertainment Tonight. And I said, well, what's that? I said, I've been living in Europe. I didn't even know. And so uh, they said, yeah, well, you can come to be a host. And I said, no, I don't think I really want to do that. And they said, well, you, you work four hours a day, and you can have use of the recording studios here on the Paramount Studios lot. And I said, I'm in. Um, and it was, it was the right decision because they were so supportive of, of my big Red Rock show and all the rest of it. And so, um, yeah, the schedule wasn't like yours, you know, where you're on every show on Fox. Uh, <laughs> you know, you do, do, the, do the morning show, and then you do your Saturday show, and then you fight with Gutfeld. So we're watching over here. Right. And, you know, if I wasn't so busy, I would be writing hit songs. But I've decided to just do a lot of news. Or, or writing books or playing soccer. Are you now, so are your kids playing soccer? Because I know you were, weren't, weren't yeah. you a soccer player on, on Long Island? Yeah, I, I played soccer through college. And I remember I did the games through count, John. I put you in there, talked about lacrosse. Yeah. yeah and you played yeah. through college. Um, and yeah, also. I, uh, actually, I, I'm sorry. I have three grandkids now under the age of 12 who are all playing soccer. And so Connie and I uh, have soccer poisoning. We go to six hours of soccer a weekend. And you'll be proud of me because I've only been thrown out of two. <laughs> Let me ask you, do they have your height? Uh, no. Uh, well, I don't know yet. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. You know, they do that thing with you. Actually, you're, you're uh, 150% of your, you know, whatever it is. Um, but uh, my daughter got my height. She's, uh, she's getting ready to turn 30, and she's 6'1". Wow. So they like, they like having their grandparents out there. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> not at all. I have a very, lo- I have a very loud voice, and, uh, and and since I played soccer at NC State, I think that I, you know, I think I know the rules. And they, when they stopped the game the first time, the referee did to come over and and uh, and and uh, kick me out. Basically, I said, "Well, I played some soccer, you know." And he goes, "Well, these are, the rules are different now, Grandpa." So I, that was it for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so John, you just glazed over this. You did it. You were in a newscast with. Pat Sajak and Oprah Winfrey? Well, Pat Sajak was the weatherman. Oprah was on at the competition in Nashville. So she was 19. I was 21. Sajak was 25 or something like that. And then, of course, we had the, you know, the dream team in, uh, in New York City. With, uh, I was in there. At Channel 2 was Stossel and Diaz and uh, Chris Borgen, Linda Ellerby and um, Meredith Vieira all there at the same time. Right. And uh, didn't Bill O'Reilly also come on there? Yeah, yeah, he was yeah, he was throwing spitballs at all of us, uh, but uh, yeah, he was in there. He was he was uh, we we liked him. He was he was tough, but he was he was a uh, you know he's a piece of work. He always is, uh, but a great guy. So so John, t- tell everybody what you've been through physically. Essentially, in 2015, they gave you 18 months 18 months to live due to cancer, right? Yeah, I went in for a routine uh, exam just to you know, just a health exam. And, uh, I walked out with, yeah, with 18 months and two years to live. It was a rare form of prostate cancer. They didn't show anything in the blood. Uh, and they, they found it sort of at the last minute and it already spread throughout my body. And so there was this journey. It was like, I mean, all over the place, uh, uh, UCLA, uh, Cedar Sinai in Los Angeles, and then Johns Hopkins and then Northwestern and then landed at MD Anderson in Houston. And, and they hadn't seen this. I hadn't seen many forms of this cancer before. And so, you know, through all the chemo and, and all the, all the and surgeries, many surgeries, I lost a kidney and all of that stuff. And, um, and, and Connie and I, my wife and I, we, we, you know, we landed uh, on, on these scriptures in the Bible, uh, including Mark eleven twenty three, 23, whoever said to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And, uh, and, and so we combined prayer, focused prayer and meditation and even visualization 
with uh, with the the dual modality of, uh, of medical treatment, and uh, and got through it. But it was uh, it was and what I learned through it all was the power of prayer and and the power of what actually what the Word of God says about uh, how how the true nature of God is health and healing. So there's a you said there's a strategy to praying. Oh, I oh gosh, yes, you know, and that's the thing. People are like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure when to pray, or or and we did a big poll of our our Facebook uh, audience, which is which is pretty big, and also our our email list, and we just asked, hey, you know, if we could help you with anything, you know, because you know we have the radio show too, um, you know, what would that be? And people say, well, I I can't figure out a way to pray throughout my day. Or I don't know how to pray for others if they're sick, you know, and so. Uh, th- these were all the things that Connie and I had learned through this eight-year eight-year journey, and so instead of answering everybody's question over and over again, I said, "Why don't I just put together, you know, videos on this?" And it ended up being a, a course we call it the Secret to Answered Prayers, and, and basically a lot of it is just you know, people don't think they need to need to uh, to practice when you're when you're praying. And this sounds weird, but it's just like you know, just like working out. Or just like you know, working on television, you know, it's, it's a muscle, and it, and it takes focus, and it, and it takes even scheduling. And so we talk a lot about that, and then we even have a prayer community that the people come in, and, and it's basically just me sharing. I do the same thing. I'm not, I'm not here on a concert tour as well. We do the same thing on stage, where I just share, you know, share my testimony, and and most of it really, Ryan, it's just, and you know this, is is hope, um, and and being able to see a future for yourself, and then combining it with faith. So how are you feeling now? I feel great. I'm, I'm standing on a street corner in Maine, freezing, because uh, I'm a Los Angeles guy now. And we're doing uh, we're doing 10 concerts back east. We'll be back near my hometown of Patchogue uh, this weekend. We'll be in Peekskill. We'll be all over uh, Maryland and, and even in, in Buffalo doing um, doing big band Christmas music. And that's another thing that keeps me alive is having to show up for these concerts, you know. So if we want this course, online course, you figure out how to do it. You talk to people that have put it together. So what do you get if you sign up for your online course? Yeah, it's basically a 45-minute course. You can find it on my website, techsh.com. And, um, and there, there are all kinds of free materials. You know, it's like the Healing, Hairs, Healing Prayers Handbook that I, that I put together that people can download. Um, and then there's a community that you can get into if you want. Um, it, it's a prayer community, and we pray for each other and and, um, and, you know, a lot of what I learned, too, uh, Brian, I learned when I was covering, like you, like covering high-end sports, you know, and, and covering downhill skiing with, you know, uh, Bill Johnson and Franz Klammer and then, you know, uh, gymnastics and skating and all that. The people at that level, right, they're, they all have pretty much the same ability, but their, their ability to, to focus and visualize uh, the finish line is I, I learned a lot from how they do that. And so I use those secular strategies in this course and combine it with the scriptures that I use to help me get healed. That's pretty amazing. But to me, um, you wouldn't—you don't seem to be someone who needed a transformation. You know, it's, it's not like you were robbing liquor stores until you got this cancer. You always seem like a great guy that was centered, that had his values, always reaching out to—you always would reach out to me and say nice things. That's usually somebody who's very secure— in himself, and I'm sure I'm not the only one you were doing that to. Did it change you? Oh yeah, it definitely did. I mean, um, I mean, listen. The reason I'm encouraging you all the time when, when, in emails when I see you on the air is because I really believe in what you're doing and how and how you're doing it. Um, but it was, yeah, it was definitely a transformation for me because I, you know, the, the the enemy of faith and the enemy of hope is is fear and doubt. And when you people who are listening to me right now who have either been through cancer 
or or even even grief, you know, even the fear, doubt, and worry. When that comes into your brain at two o'clock in the morning, you have to have a strategy to cast it out, and that's all in the Bible. It's amazing. It's you know, it's the, the Word of God is is truth, as you know, and there are there are so many pathways in there where you can take that doubt, like Second Corinthians ten five, capture every thought to the obedience of Christ, and you can cast that out. And as long as you have the ability to do that, and you practice that, then you have room for faith. But I, I had too much worry in my brain. I became so, a cancer patient. So if, before this happened, before 2015, did you know the Bible this well? No, 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 not at all. In fact, I mean, I'll just give you Mark 11:23. Whoever says to this mountain, be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will be done and shall have whatever he says. Therefore, whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you already receive it and you will have it. That's Jesus talking. He's talking about our, the, the mountains that we have. Uh, and so, you know, it's like, well, if it's God's will, I'll be healed. God really wants us to be healed. He wants us to be healthy. And, and when you get that, it's like having the coach say, get in there. I know you can win the game. So interesting the way you go back to sports analogies. You do that for me because you know I'm simple. Say it one more time. You'd use the sports analogy for me because you know how simple I am. <laughs> we speak the same language. Listen, the sports and one of my friends is Ryan Holiday, and he wrote um, he wrote the book The Obstacle Is the Way, and that book helped uh, helped me get out of my uh, my cancer dungeon as uh, as well. And it's all these sports teams are using all of that stuff: Stoic philosophy, the Word of God. Um, it's 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 not simple, but it works. That's the thing. Your prayer works if you work it. All right, so John, I'm going to let you go and get get your coat on and get indoors because I know you've got your very thin blood of California. But finally, just where do we go to find out where to see you in concert and where to get this online strategy? Yeah, it's just my my last name dot com. It's Tesh T E S H okay dot com. Yeah, thanks, Brian. It's great talking to you, man. Same here. Uh, go get him, John Tesh, and please calm down to the sidelines. Okay, <laughs> kids are going to ban you. Uh, back to wrap up the hour. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. Special thanks to everyone uh, here at the station for letting us uh, broadcast from beautiful Mobile, Alabama. Everyone else who... Who came out uh, last night? Uh, really, the whole town uh, came out in Fairhope. And if you have ever, if you're in Pensacola and you want to say, "Hey, let's do something for the day," go out to Fairhope. Uh, meanwhile, the tour—I got two more weeks of the tour left, and then I'll have other uh, some sporadic events over in January, including two live shows. But on December 8th, it sold out. But I'll be in Dayton with WHIO listeners. I cannot wait to see everybody. The next day, driving electric in Kentucky, the Joe Beth Bookstores. Designing Teddy and Booker T, our two American icons, plays the path to racial equality. Uh, then over to Charlotte, North Carolina on the 10th at Barnes & Noble. Then it gets really interesting. We're going to go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's technically Munn Hall on December 15th doing a live show. Talking about all the books, bringing some of the great moments in history to life in our own unique, funny way. And then the next night, uh, Holland, Michigan, over at the Holland Civic Center. That is December 16th. Now, with each ticket, you get a book. And you're going to get a special from Fox Nation. Fox Nation is co-sponsoring this, getting the word out about it. And last year, uh, they do something different for each show or each session. And I believe last year, the Fox Nation gave one year out. So between that and the book uh, and getting a chance, there's VIP opportunities where I can talk to you before the show. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's uh, patriotic, motivational, uh, inspirational. 
So that's pretty cool. And we'll talk about what's in the news. At the end, we, we open up the we open up, we bring up the lights and we just talk about anything under the sun. And one thing everyone's talking about now, they no longer will make you feel bad for bringing it up is 2024. And Joe Biden against Donald Trump, it looks like. But I do not think it's over. We did get the news. Not that surprising that Governor Doug Bergram is going to suspend his campaign. It'll be the second debate. He's not on the floor and stage. And when you don't get on that stage, it really fades. There's going to be pressure now on either DeSantis or Haley to drop out, let alone Vivek Ramaswamy, who I don't think he's going to listen to anybody. But Vivek has been great for the debates if I am, if I'm Nikki Haley, because that was a way that she could really disseminate herself and separate herself from a lot of what Vivek said. And, and she is a more traditional Republican, more from the George Bush era, but understands the Trump people right now. The Trump people are with Trump, and we believe it's I believe it's going to stay that way for now. But everybody's talking about Haley, uh, the way she campaigns, the way she debates, the way she just is getting a lot of support. But when it comes to Iowa, it's all about Ron DeSantis. He's got the governor. He's got Bob Vanderplatz with Potts, who is the head of the most powerful evangelical in the area. He says who's every endorsed. Really, I think he's endorsed three candidates over the last three cycles has 12 years. They have all won. Doesn't mean they get the nomination. Ted Cruz did not get the nomination. But if Ron DeSantis gets Iowa, I think he'll pick up 10 points in New Hampshire. And then we'll see. He'll be a solid second. And then he'll be back to DeSantis-Trump again. Right now, I think I think Trump looks at Nikki Haley as the biggest threat. Here's a little of Trump over the weekend. Cut 17. I was able to get the farmers $28 billion. That's why, you know, I get a lot of heat sometimes. Some of my people, and they're great, they're good people. They mean well. They say, sir, please don't take it for granted that you're going to win Iowa. I said, what do you mean? I got the farmers $28 billion. Of course I'm going to win Iowa. Remember, I came in last time. They said, sir, you sound very conceited. You're saying you're going to win. I said, how the hell can they vote against me? I got them $28 billion. They're going to vote. Do you think Joe Biden's going to get you $28 billion? Any extra money that he gets comes to him and his family. It doesn't come to Iowa. That's been proven, hasn't it? It is. And which brings me to my next thing, the impeachment push. Mike Johnson over the weekend says we're leading towards impeachment. I love the discovery portion, but I'm with Ron DeSantis when it comes to impeachment. I don't think they should do it. Cut 26. Opening an inquiry based on the, the facts that we have, I think would be justifiable. However, I think they run the risk of doing an inquiry that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere while they've been ignoring a lot of the problems that our voters are talking about. When I'm going through Iowa, Republican voters obviously are not fond of Joe Biden. Yes, they're concerned about Hunter and all this money, but they're more concerned about what's happening at our border. They're more concerned about what's happening with the economy. They're more concerned about federal agencies that are overstepping their bounds. And so if you're doing the inquiry, which, again, I think is justifiable, you also have to be addressing all these other issues. I do. I think there's big risk. And my, my case in point for the big risk, Bill Clinton is guilty, got caught red-handed, much easier to understand than Whitewater with Clinton, much easier to understand even than these shell companies and the millions that go to Hunter. And when they went after Trump on the phone call, a lot of, a lot of Democrats got exercised, but a lot of independents sit there and rolled their eyes. And Republicans got more behind Trump than ever. So I think you should go ahead, go aggressively after forensically accounting, find out exactly what he was up to, 
Find out exactly where that money is. Figure out that they didn't pay any taxes on that at all. Expose it along the way. Use it for whatever candidate wants to run for Senate or the House and certainly against Joe Biden for the presidency. But to go ahead down the impeachment, nonstop speeches, the comparisons to Donald Trump, they'll use that as an opportunity to say how unhinged Republicans are and make it even harder for them to keep the House majority and maybe allow for a window of opportunity for the Democrats to keep some semblance of a majority in the Senate. Although I do not think the Senate is winnable for Democrats. Anything's possible, but there's no way that I believe that Tim Sheehy will lose to John Tester. There's no way that Jim Justice won't win in West Virginia. I think that Congressman Rogers got a great shot uh, in Michigan, and you do not count up, count out Dave McCormick. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.